This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, it's free, 100% free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. It couldn't be easier. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is episode seven of the Prospect Podcast. I'm Chris Trapasso of CBSSports.com, and it is Wednesday, October 16th. This is mostly a draft podcast, but I do talk about young NFL players every week and write about young NFL players every week. So it's fitting to start with the Jalen Ramsey trade. He's only 24 years old. He's now a member of the Los Angeles Rams. He was my number one overall prospect in the 2016 class, just ahead of Joey Bosa. Those two at their respective positions really had it all, a cornerback and edge rusher. What I want to talk about, what this move shows and proves to a certain degree that in the NFL, and if you follow me on Twitter, you've seen me tweet something along these lines. You can have multiple players, more than two or three even, signed to big extensions, lucrative contracts, and you're going to be fine. Saving money is overrated in the NFL. And yes, the amount of money that these players are being paid their average per year, their signing bonuses, their contracts are going up, but the salary cap has been going up between 10 to $12 million every single season since 2013. Take a listen to some of the cap hits in 2020 that the Rams will have on their books. Are you ready for this? $36 million for Jared Goff, $25 million for Aaron Donald, Nearly $18 million for Todd Gurley, which that's not great. Nearly $17 million for Brandon Cooks. And if they don't extend Jalen Ramsey, just under $14 million. And they're still going to have around $25 million in cap space. Yes, they have to fill out other spots on their roster. The offensive line needs work. But... They just traded for Austin Corbett, a former first pick in the second round from the Cleveland Browns. He certainly hasn't lived up to those expectations of, of being selected there, obviously, in Cleveland. And they're not going to have the first-round pick in the next two drafts. But they have a very solid core. And the salary cap was just under $190 million this year. It's probably going to be around $200 million when the next... TV deal 
goes through between the big networks and the NFL, it's probably going to continue to go up at even a higher rate. And two, three, four years down the road, if some of these players, and maybe that is Jared Goff, aren't working out, you can get out from these deals if you're a team and pay limited or or not a lot of dead cap to those players to get them off the team and get their full contracts off your books. You can structure contracts in a way that big cap hits are in a year where you know you're going to have a lot of money. And I think that's why they structured the Jared Goff deal the way that they did that he has a, a lesser cap hit this year and then it balloons to 36 million and then it's around 30 after that. But less need their GM is saying, hey, look, it doesn't really do me any good to have a ton of leftover money. And it is a not for long league in the NFL. And if you're not winning games and you're not building to win a Super Bowl and you're at that point where your roster is that good and you're not winning Super Bowls, then you might be getting fired. And obviously, Les Snead, having just made the Super Bowl last year, isn't in danger of losing his job. But believe me, if the Rams stayed pat and missed the playoffs this year and then missed the playoffs next year, there would be people, media members and fans, calling for his job that it's not this league where every GM gets four to six years to build from the ground up you can certainly do it that way and if your owner is going to allow you to have that much time that's the methodical approach you're not going to spend as much money because you're going to be paying your draft picks less money than you would uh, a star player but strike when the iron is hot in today's NFL I'm okay with that philosophy that it is risky not having first round picks I as a draft guy certainly don't advocate but if you can get someone like Jalen Ramsey at his age you don't really even have to worry about how much you have to pay him if your owner's not setting a lower salary cap for his team and saying let's spend to the cap then saving money in the NFL is overrated and I think the Rams may have just saved their season by trading for Jalen Ramsey because he's that good and it was that big of a need, especially after Aqib Tlaib went down. And I'm pretty sure they traded Marcus Peters because they knew this Ramsey trade was in the works. But the Rams needed help in their secondary, and they certainly got that. So I applaud Les Need for kind of going the opposite way of the build through the draft build through the first round, extend your own players. I mean, they've certainly done that with Gurley and Goff and Donald, and it will heighten the importance of his second, third, fourth round picks and even late round selections. But he sees that his team is Super Bowl caliber, obviously, and is saying, let's stay aggressive and let's try to get back there. All right, jumping over to quarterback watch. I'm going to talk about one quarterback, Joe Burrow. From LSU. I don't really know what to make of him at this point because he's been outstanding. He's been the best quarterback in college football. He's certainly draft eligible. He's been in college for a while. I'm just a little hesitant to put him as a surefire first round pick. I mean, he'll probably go there on this track. 
but a first-round prospect on my big board. And here's why. He's not going to be a very experienced quarterback entering the NFL. He has more than one year of starting experience, which is good. But you turn on the film last year compared to this year, and you seriously would think that you were watching a different quarterback. And part of me, I'm not trying to be a gigantic skeptic here, but part of me thinks, is this just the perfect storm of offensive efficiency with the wide receivers he has, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, a very bright young offensive mind in Joe Brady, who is with the Saints, a good offensive line, a pretty good running game, a good defense as well that certainly helps him not get into big holes early in games. I just did not see a draftable quarterback last year in Joe Burrow, and now the kind of consensus is, oh, this is a top 15 pick. He's going to go ahead of Justin Herbert. He should. He's better than him. You Certainly, the film matters the most with any prospect and quarterbacks for sure, but I am a big proponent in experience being vital for these college quarterbacks when they enter the NFL, that if they don't have a lot of it, regardless of the statistics they put up, regardless of some of the throws that they can make in one or one and a half or two seasons, if they don't have a lot of experience, they usually take a long time to acclimate to the NFL level, regardless of which conference they're playing in. And a lot of the times they don't have the refined skills, drifting inside the pocket, getting through the progressions, reading complex blitzes and coverages. I think Joe Burrow is tracking toward the first round, but for me to put him there right now, I mean, he's done all he could do this season, but seeing what I saw last year, put him so far behind the eight ball in terms of being drafted, being a first round pick, being a, a the first or second quarterback off the board. I mean, I don't think a lot of people have him ahead of Tua Tagovailoa at this point, but I'm just a little hesitant. I want to see more of him throughout the remainder of the season. If, if he continues to play the way he does, I mean, he had three incompletions and three touchdowns against Florida. He doesn't need to do that every week, obviously. But if he continues to play at the level that he is throughout the entire season, LSU is probably going to be in the college football playoff, and he'll have some more difficult tests. I mean, he played very well against Texas and extremely well against Florida at home against a really, really good secondary. But Joe Burrow is going to be fascinating because he only is going to have the two years of starting experience after really struggling early in his career to even win a job at Ohio State. And now he's going to be thrust into the first round and be a first-round pick and start week one in, in 2020. I don't know. It seems a little far-fetched to me. No disrespect to what he's done thus far because, like I said, he's done everything that he could possibly do. But Joe Burrow is probably the most fascinating quarterback prospect just because he kind of came out of nowhere, which seems weird to say at LSU, but they don't necessarily – that program for how great it's been in terms of just winning games at the college football level and sending 
outstanding defensive and skill position players and offensive linemen even to the NFL, quarterback has not been good. But he came out of nowhere, not because of the school he was at, but because he just was not very good last year or did not look like an NFL draft prospect. And now he's, boom, appears in the first round after six or seven games. Shifting over to big board movement, we didn't get a lot of Yatir Gross Matos against Tristan Wirfs on Saturday in the Penn State-Iowa game because Iowa's left tackle, Alaric Jackson, is back. And Gross Matos mostly plays right defensive end, so it's not really worth diving into. I want to quickly talk about three risers for me. I'll start with Javon Kinlaw, the defensive lineman from South Carolina. He was in my top 10 already and the big board that came out a few weeks ago. I'll have another update in the next few weeks. I think he's going to go inside my top five. That, that won't surprise me if he grades out there. He was a monster against a really sturdy Georgia offensive line over the weekend. He had four tackles, a sack, a tackle for loss, a bunch, a bunch of pressures. At 6'6 and 3'10", he has the heaviest hands of any defensive lineman that I've watched thus far in college football. He has pretty good burst. He's very strong. He's pretty athletic for his size, and you can truly, at that size and with his athleticism and his ability to bull rush and then use his hands, you can play him at literally any position on the defensive line, and that's very, very valuable. That on first down, he can be an end. On third down, he can play nose tackle. He can play three technique. Javon Kinlaw doesn't have these gaudy statistics, basic stats, but in terms of pressures, beating blocks, he is an elite prospect in my eyes as we're getting close to November. Staying on the same side of the ball, Antoine Winfield Jr. from... Minnesota, defensive back. He has 37 tackles, two interceptions, two interceptions, excuse me. He had 10 tackles in the game, in the blowout win for Minnesota over Nebraska. We've seen him flash in his college football career, just like his dad did at Ohio State about two decades ago. But he's been injured a lot. He seems healthy. And is he a safety? Is he a corner? I think you could play him really anywhere, slot corner, safety. Antoine Winfield Jr. is someone that's been at the college football ranks for a while. We haven't seen a ton of him, like I said, because of the injuries. But he really looks the part of that modern-day kind of defensive back that can play anywhere and make plays on the football. He's athletic. He has good ball skills. His instincts are great. One other player I want to talk about, another defensive guy, Terrell Lewis. He was unblockable against Texas A&M. He had 11 pressures on fewer than 40 pass rushing attempts. That's just a crazy percentage. He's long. He's chiseled. He, similar to Antoine Winfield Jr., is a player that's been at the college football level for a while, but has also, like Winfield, dealt with injuries. So we've never really seen him tap into what has supposedly been his full potential until this season. I think he is bound to go in the first round and should go there at this point unless he drastically cools off. Terrell Lewis is probably the latest, maybe even elite prospect on the defensive line at the edge rusher spot from Alabama. Quickly jumping over to wide receiver watch. 
I did my first wide receiver watch of the season that included NFL comparisons. It's a favorite hobby of mine. I, I put a lot into it, a lot of film study of not just the prospect themselves, but the player I'm comparing them to when they were in college. They're all stylistic. Doesn't mean I think that, say, Jerry Judy, who right now my comparison for him is Amari Cooper. I'm not saying I believe he's going to have the exact same career arc and same success in the NFL as Amari Cooper, but you're getting a similar type player. Quarterback matters, the team matters, the offensive line, all that. That's my comparison for him. I'm just going to run through some of these. T. Higgins, it's still Tyrell Williams. C.D. Lamb, Devontae Adams. I think those two wide receivers can really do anything that you ask of them and are outstanding after the catch. C.D. Lamb, what he did against Texas with three touchdowns, one of which was an insane display of not only his elusiveness, but just his innate ability to catch the football, know where defenders are around him, make them miss, and then take hits and stay on his feet. That's contact balance that I always talk about with the running back spot. He has outstanding contact ba- contact balance, contact balance for a six foot two wide receiver. He's fast. He has outstanding ball skills. Henry Ruggs. Emmanuel Sanders, he can threaten you over the top on every play. He can take a slant 80 yards for a touchdown, a bubble screen 90 yards for a touchdown. He has, I think, low to mid 4-3 speed. Not going to be a high-volume player, but he'll take two catches for 100 yards and a score in any NFL game. LaVisca Chenault, still Sammy Watkins, I think... Similar, I mean, not even stylistically, but just in general. I mean, Watkins had a more illustrious career than LaVisca Chenault has had thus far. But I think they're similar players that, like, you look at them and you say, wow, this player could be the best receiver in the game with his burst, with his ability to make hands catches, his yards after the catch skills, but never really live up to how talented they are. And he's being held back by his quarterback, Steven Montez. You could even say Sammy Watkins has kind of been held back or was held back by his quarterbacks early in his career with the Bills. But Watkins is always injured. He has had a few flashes, high-level flashes, like in week one this year, but has never really become that superstar wide receiver that he looked like he was destined to be at his career or during his career at Clemson. Jalen Rager, and I've been calling him Jalen Rieger. It's actually Jalen Rager. Stephon Diggs, that he's smaller, but he's incredibly shifty. He's an awesome route runner. And for his size, he has outstanding ball skills, just like Stephon Diggs, that he put on full display over the weekend in Minnesota's win over Philadelphia, convincing win over the Eagles. So those are my top six wide receivers right now, and they're mid-season comparisons. They could change... They're probably going to change after the season and then the combine when you really get a good idea of how athletic they are. um, They'll probably change again. But those are my top six wide receivers and their NFL comparisons at kind of the midpoint of the regular season in college. Last segment of the day, young NFL players. I want to talk about one defensive guy that really flying under the radar, but from the film that I've watched and especially what he did over the weekend, 
I think he's been one of the more pleasant surprises among the 2019 rookie class. Charles Amenahue of the Houston Texans. He was my number 10 edge rusher in the 2019 class. My number 60 overall prospect. Went in the third round. He has two sacks on the season. He had a strip sack of Patrick Mahomes over the weekend. That was a certainly a big play for the Houston Texans defense. He's almost 6'6". He's 280 pounds. He had some of the longest arms in combine history, over 36 inches. Was pretty athletic relative to that size. And early in his career at Texas, he was two-gapping a lot. They weren't really asking him to get up the field. He was kind of a run defender. And then in his senior season, they said, okay, get up the field. Let's see what you can do as a pass rusher. Set career highs across the board. He's a player similar to... Someone I talked about earlier, Javon Kinlaw, that at that size, you can really plug him in anywhere. And yes, to be a specialist, to be an Aaron Donald that's 6'1", 290 pounds, sit there at the three-technique spot, that helps. And actually, we've seen Aaron Donald play on the edge a little bit, which is scary this season. But it's good to be a specialist in a way, but if you can play and create pressure on the defensive line at multiple positions... It just helps the defensive coordinator so much that you can give different looks and you can get different matchups for Charles Amenahue that he can use his length against guards. He can use his power against tackles, and he's done that thus far. He hasn't been amazing. He's not the defensive rookie of the year, but has been a very important piece of a Houston, Texas defensive line that lost Jadavian Clowney. They had the front office trade him and has J.J. Watt another one that can play anywhere. I think Amenahu learning from J.J. Watt on how to beat different types of blockers in different ways, and we saw him do that last year at Texas, has been very beneficial to him. He's a really young, good player to monitor over the second half of the NFL season. All right, that'll do it today. I'm Chris Trapasso. This was Episode 7 of the Prospect Podcast. Thank you for listening. Remember, subscribe, add a comment, and get this podcast anywhere you listen to your podcast. Thank you.